This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, this is Garrett Wong. I played Ensign Harry Kim on Voyager, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 10 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. This is Part 5 in our series on Ira Stephen Bear as a showrunner, where we will be looking at Bear's sixth show, Alphas. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we're joined by Brandon of Yo. our other show, Commentary, Track Stars Off Topic. How's it going, Brandon? It's good. Yourself? I'm doing okay. Excellent. Thanks for joining us. Now, we've had you on the show before. You've seen Alphas, but another reason why we, we brought you on is because uh, you're, you're a, a pretty big comic book fan, I would say. Certainly, whenever I have questions about comic book mythology or whatnot, I come to you for the answers. Um, okay. For whatever reason. But I guess uh, the internet's not close by. <laughs> nah, usually it's easier just to go to you. Um, so, so that, I think, will come into play in today's discussion. Sure, that makes sense. Okay, so 2009, Iris Stephen Baird is season two of Crash, and after that, due to various reasons, I'm assuming... It not being a good show, probably. <clears throat> that might have something to do with it. The show is canceled. What? Yeah, no, I mean, there were some lurking variables. For example, Dennis Hopper passed away, so um, him being the, the, the sort of... Uh, maybe not lead actor, but, you know, marquee name that might have had some impact on the decision to not continue, but I'm not sure if it would have continued even with him. Mm -hmm. But before he did Crash, before the writer's strike, Iris Stephen Bear began work on a novel, and if I have the timeline correct, he picked up... uh, the novel again once Crash was was over. Uh, now, a, a lot of this info is coming from our friend Larry Nemechek's uh, video interviews that he did with Iris Stephen Bear uh, just prior to the release of Alphas. You can find those on YouTube. Just type in Iris Stephen Bear Alphas and they'll come up. It's like a four-part series. It's really, really good. So I highly recommend that. But in that interview, he says that uh, he decided to write the book before committing to another series. So there's a year there, 2010, where there is no Iris Stephen Bear on television. But in 2011, he got the gig as the showrunner for Alphas. Now, Alphas has a weird history itself. It was created by Zach Penn and Michael Carnow, who are... uh, Two guys, Carnow, he's done a few things here and there, like he, he wrote for Ah, Real Monsters, and some other things. Um, a bunch of stuff, actually. Zach Penn is someone whose work you might be a little more familiar with. He did things, whether he wrote the actual screenplays or, or, or stories or something for a bunch of these things. 
Last Action Hero, X2, Elektra, X-Men Last Stand, Incredible Hulk, Avengers. So Alphas was originally sold to ABC a couple years before it actually made it onto the air. And then ABC got uh, worried about the, the science fiction elements of the show and decided to not go ahead with it. And that original pilot was written by Penn and Carnow and directed by Jack Bender, uh, who has done a lot of stuff with with J.J. Abrams, actually. He was, uh, I think, lead director on Alias and I think also Lost, if I'm not mistaken. He's been around. He's he's a, a solid director. And also my current prediction for the director of Star Trek 13. I'm just putting that out there. So Alpha's is picked up by ABC, then thrown out by ABC, and then after a couple of years in um, sort of limbo, which is funny, seeing as how David Strathairn is in it, it gets picked up by the Sci-Fi Channel. So, Max, would you like to uh, give us the premise for Alphas? You know X-Men? Mm-hmm. But? That, but without, uh, you know, costumes, without... Uh, Sure. Um, the the superhero version of it is more like a real world X Men. You're giving it a lot of credit. They they do a whole bunch of stuff that's right out of right out of X Men comics. To be fair, so was Heroes. It is, but at least Alphas was a better version of the X Men than Heroes was. Oh yes, but it is, it is much much better than Heroes. But it's also not a. Whereas Heroes, I mean, right in the title, it's like, oh, we're, these are going to be superheroes. This is more of a... a um, but even Heroes, despite being like rooted in the exact same like like memes, also didn't have costumes. And it's not because... But I, think he was, I think he's saying that they are trying to be superheroes. Yeah, you have like, like vigilantes. The character hero was trying to be a hero... Like an yeah. actual superhero, and then the main, um, the kind of rogue character was trying to be, or trying to evolve to a quote-unquote superhero, or a yeah. hero at least. Whereas the characters, they're almost more like um, psych- psychiatric patients that occasionally help the FBI out, at least at the beginning. Of well, the, uh, first yeah, the, the edging around the issue that it's like like the X-Men doesn't really get us anywhere. No, no. Because it's not, definitely an X-Men ripoff. I'm not denying that. I'm just – there are differences. That's yeah. what I'm and, and but like they also have a super team that that has a has a single older guy leader. If he was in a wheelchair, it would be impossible to talk about this show without well, talking about that. Like, and the fact <laughs> he isn't a uh, alpha. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, we can we can sort of break down the premise a little bit here. Like basically, this is a world in which there are essentially mutants, and you know they say that they've been around for a while, but now they're starting to become more prevalent. And it is like our world, just with people who have extraordinary abilities in some way or another, and each of them are different. One of them has super strength. One of them has a uh, super. Uh, reflexes or, or what have you one can smell things and see so the, the the original premise which they kind of lost was that like the abilities weren't supposed to be so far-fetched as they were um quote unquote unbelievable mm-hmm. um yeah so for some, the, they no were one supposed to not be, the weather yeah nothing nothing physically impossible stuff that you could imagine a person could do so like the, the guy that was super strong he wasn't like 
crazy strong. He's just strong for like imagine if you were he could move a car. Right. He had he he had uh, a physically possible muscle density. And but it's more an endorphin based yeah. or um but 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 you can't you can't move a car with endorphins. Like you, it, but there the, needs the to premise be, yeah. is supposed to be obviously it's yeah. none of the stuff makes sense really in the real world. Well, I mean you, you you have to you have to imagine that there's a little bit more going on than just like the the like two word answer given because like the show has to be plausible and also have people with superpowers. So if you have to do a little you know extra work to make it plausible. Well, it seems fine to me. Yeah. But, yeah, the show is the X-Men, essentially. Um, the Mimming character is not Professor X in that he is has no powers, but he's the kind of psychiatrist character, which kind of mm-hmm. is a parallel to Xavier. He's um, basically, and, and like Xavier, he's sort of like the world's leading authority on alphas. And he's, uh, yes, a psychiatrist who's trying to help these people out. He's trying to create an environment for them. So he puts together a team, um, which is supposed to be partially like a, a therapy session, kind of like a group therapy session. But it's a team of alphas who assist the FBI in various uh, investigations because they each have unique talents, which can, you know, hopefully, uh, by his thinking anyway, help out. Uh, in, in solving some crimes, usually crimes related to other alphas, you know? I th- yeah. I don't know if that's totally true. I mean, I think, I, I, you know, definitely as the show goes on, that's kind of the focus, other alphas. But I'm not sure that they just help with uh, purely alpha cases. Uh, perhaps not. I mean, I think that's usually, though, what does I mean? You usually have the alpha of the week, right? No. No? There's, there were a lot of I think, alphas I think, of the week. I think, I mean, just going off of what happens before, or I'm not sure. Like, basically, like, the first episode kind of draws them back towards um, the, I forget, the Brotherhood of Mutants equivalent. But before that, it seems like that the Is it that called, organization, like, Red Flag or something? Yeah, Red Flag. Yeah. It feels like they were kind of off the radar for a while. And then, yeah. like that, by the the new character, quote unquote, new character, the kind of character who can, um, I forget how they describe his power. He can pretty much do. He has like a one to one mind to body ratio. So he can do yeah. crazy things. He can, he can put mind. a quarter into a vending machine from two blocks away. Right. Hypokinesis, I think. Yes. Is what they call exactly. It. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of what leads them back to the path Hypo? of the red flag. So, I mean, there are, I mean, like, obviously, like, you have the super strong character who's kind of a parallel to Beast. Um, you have the kind of, um, she's not really a telepath per se, but the kind of... Um, she's a mind controller. Is that what they call it? Isn't that was more of a pusher or something. But yeah, anyway, pusher, um, yeah. But, I mean, what she does is she, she basically gets you to do... She's like guy from the X-Files. What you want her to do. Yeah. Pusher. Yeah. 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 And of course, the other characters don't quite work as parallels to... There's the guy that characters. played There's the kind Nigel of, Murray on Bones who has computer superpowers. Yeah, he's like... He can he can smell microwaves. The one thing with his powers, I could, I could get maybe seeing radio frequencies, but I, I mm-hmm. can't buy... Like, have a control over those frequencies. And then, of course, there's the chick you mentioned who can kind of shut off one sense. Yeah. and But, like, have it magnified like, by 10 or whatever. 
Yeah, she um, can amplify any of her senses. Which basically makes her like the, the walking crime lab, which allows for them to go to crime scenes and, yeah. you know, get The clues. one dude's like, I can hear somebody's Wi-Fi password. What is the, what is the chemicals in, this, in this, uh, this wound? I'll just email something to the doctor right now. And, like, they, they'll actually basically do that. So the, 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 the other conceit is that, like, these people have a slight advantage, but there comes a, there, with that comes a drawback. So, example, the, the character that can kind of has crazy um, accuracy with, with guns and it's all kind of based on his self-confidence. So if he feels mm-hmm. great about himself, his powers work. But if he doesn't, it's kind of a, the opposite effect where everything goes horribly wrong for him. And then, of course, the... Um, the like push- anyone in the world. Well, yeah. Well... <laughs> That's, yeah, his that's, one that's... weakness is the one that all humans have. <laughs> then the pusher. I'm vulnerable to bullets. <laughs> and, you know, stuff that stabs me. I don't know. My main weakness. Um, and then the pusher, she's kind of addicted to her own power. Obviously, if you can make people do what you want them to do, it becomes easy to become kind of selfish. And then she has her, old, her whole, you know, past reasons for being the way she is. And like in the X-Men, anyone who was once a villain occasionally becomes a villain for a brief interval. Yeah, they have, there's that temptation. <laughs> so, Brandon, what are your thoughts on the series, in season one in particular? It has its problems, but I think that by the end of the first season, it kind of becomes interesting. I think it kind of um, figures out the best parts of what makes the X-Men comic kind of work, as far as the kind of Magneto versus Xavier... Also, the kind of mutants versus humans. It's very clear that it's all kind of, again, coming from the X-Men, but distilled and uh, handled pretty well. I I like what they do um, with the second season. Um, Actually, by the time it gets canceled, it's kind of interesting to see what they would have done at the end. The first episodes are really rough. I'm a big X-Men fan, so I kind of stuck with it. But again, I think by the third episode, uh, I think that's the one where um, their handler dies, like their FBI handler. I think by that episode, it kind of picked up steam. And then, uh, again, by the by the end of the first season, it was in a good place. What about you, Max? You a fan? Sure. I watched it. Um, uh, when it started, I, I checked it out, as I would do to any like genre show. I'll, I'll watch the pilot and judge it as harshly as possible to possibly dissuade me from watching any more of it and being disappointed. But I wasn't disappointed. I was like, this is, this is okay. It's not super dramatic or exciting, but they were like, they were clearly laying the groundwork very intelligently. And I thought that they could easily go to some very interesting places if they were just, you know, nurtured and given some time. Allowed them to, you know, work it, out the the kinks of their own little universe. It it didn't. It never quite like you know got to like that level where you you could say it was awesome, but you could definitely say that it was it was totally capable of going there. And they just needed to build up an infrastructure capable of supporting such a bizarre premise. And I feel like just comparing it to kind of the other sci-fi original shows, the Warehouse Fifty One, I think, and thirteen, thirteen, whatever. Um, Eureka. Eureka. Like, it didn't have... I think it was... They all fit in the same universe, by the way. Those three shows. Yeah, they have the one character, the uh, doctor chick. Oh, really? Hmm. Interesting. Um, Like, all those shows have a very, like, 
tongue-in-cheek type feel. I like feel. Uh, those two, but Elvis doesn't really. Yeah, that's it's what I'm sort saying. of weird. Like the, yeah, um, I, I feel like I don't. I appreciate it that they at least didn't go that route. I don't like those shows, and that's part of the reason why. I just feel like the tone is off. Whereas with Elvis, I feel like the tone was right for what they were trying to do. Like it was pretty. Like the the concepts behind it warranted the tone of the show. Um, the kind it, of it is. It's kind of weird to imagine that, like, while while Alphas is doing its thing, like you have to presume that somewhere off in, in a different part of the country in a different scene, somebody is like growing their hair because they put on Abe Lincoln's hat. Sure, like that kind of crazy thing is apparently going on while Alphas is happening. Just sort of insane. Did you uh, see the show, Mike? Yeah, I watched season one and and I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I liked the idea of having. Um, a more real world approach to you know the mutant slash superhero genre you know that that's something which I would always think about like as a kid or whatever reading comic books is like, well, what if someone in the real world actually had these powers? How would it actually go down and uh I'm not saying that alphas is how it would go down, but I think it's a closer approximation than you know x men I don't think they'd be putting on costumes and stuff like that. So from that that side of it, you know, as someone who's a fan of the superhero genre, I liked seeing a uh, a show which dealt with that from this perspective. Um, I thought that the characters were were really good, uh, um, and and it was really well cast. You know, especially I mean, you have David Strathairn in there. I mean, doesn't really get much better than that, right? I mean, that right there adds a lot of credibility to your show as well. The Leader guy. Xavier. Yeah, I mean, I I, I thought it was good. And I also did like the sort of procedural side of it. I I think that that was a good um, framework for individual episodes. So now I didn't see season two because uh, I I was really just watching it for the Iris Stephen Bear of it all. And and he left in season two. I mean, it sounds like, you know, kind of putting the pieces together, it sounds like... he was actually fired because apparently there are interviews out there where he talks about how he, you know, enjoyed the show and how he had plans for season two and he was, you know, excited to get back into it. And then that doesn't sound like someone who would want to leave in season two. They brought in Bruce Miller who ran, uh, Eureka prior to that. Um, he also worked with bear on 4,400, to me, it just like all of that, especially you got Eureka, which I'm assuming was a more popular show and everything. You're bringing in someone from your 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 bigger hit to take over and try to fix this one. I mean, just all those things. Just it sounds like you know it was a, a network decision to get rid of Bear and and replace him. Well, sure, so, like it, that show's never a huge show, like um, yeah. viewership wise. Yeah. So when that happened, I was just kind of like, well, I'll get around to season two eventually. I do want to see season two, but uh, I haven't watched it. Well, Max, what did you think about season two? And how did it, did you see a difference in season one? Or I, like, I watch shows in a really weird way. I sort of you know, do everything according to my own schedule, and uh, sometimes I'll develop like a backlog of episodes of a TV show that I haven't seen. Uh, and like, you know, every once in a while, it's it, it gets like a pretty big backlog. There was a period where I was like seven episodes behind on Bones, and 
it was no big deal. It's just bones, you know. Uh, but like on Alphas, it's a continuity-driven show, and I and I ended up with a backlog of like twelve episodes in season two. And I then was like, "All right, I guess I'll watch these." And then, like, by the time I was done watching them, the show was canceled. And that was a weird thing because I didn't remember when season one ended. I didn't remember exactly how it ended, and uh, I didn't remember why I was watching the show. And by the end of it, I didn't remember why I liked it. So it's not very good. Season, season, two. season two. Okay, it's not. It's not like a, a humongously terrible. It's just that the show never got a sense of what it was doing. So the, it kind the of meandered. First, the first season, the general population doesn't know about alphas in general. So that at the end, the doctor character um, reveals during a congressional meeting of some sort that. There are these people that have these powers and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So the second season, A, deals with that. So they they kind of be, go from being unknown to kind of being like Loch Ness Monster or like uh, um, other kind of rumors or yeah. you know, whatever. They set up, a, they set up like an, an Arkham Asylum meets Guantanamo Bay sure. facility. Well, that's... That, that's been going on for a while yeah but they kind of um they kind of deal with that and it kind of ties in with the whole red flag thing and then you have your apocalypse slash magneto character who kind of took over the reins of the the red flag organization and is kind of trying to kill all humans which is the the ultimate goal towards the end of the episode or the season okay so they did like expand on the mythology now, did did you like where they went with it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, so you liked season two then? I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Do you, how do you think it compares to season one? Obviously, it builds off what they were going for, and I think it's a pretty decent um, step up as far as where those plot lines are going towards. Yeah, it didn't betray the show in any way. I just, I just think they didn't know what they were trying to accomplish mm-hmm. um, I mean I, I, I feel like again they were following the kind of Magneto versus Xavier well I'll have to check out season 2 because it does sound like it's interesting you know it would be interesting to see I mean I, I'm curious as to what Bear had planned for it and, and uh, how it, it ended up differing from from his original ideas Brandon any uh, final thoughts on Alphas it's a good X-Men approximation. Um, I feel that it definitely needed a little bit, a little bigger budget um, and probably not sci-fi channel, but for a sci-fi channel sh- original show, I feel it was pretty decent. So yeah, good stuff. What about you, Max? Well, when I, when, when the show began, uh, I, I was already a viewer of most of sci-fi channels stuff, but when Alpha started, I was mainly impressed by how, how it didn't share that characteristic that we've talked about before, that sort of, that old sort of stilted thing that Star Trek and 4400 had, that formal inflexibility. And Alpha's had uh, had, had a style and a, and a form of its own, and it was, 
it was an evolving form. It was it was actually learning from the show what it should be, and so it seemed like it could actually theoretically be a much bigger hit than Sci-Fi had had. But apparently, Sci-Fi Channel's audience is an incredibly weird organization of of of, of very different, strange, weird people, because the people who watched Eureka and Warehouse 13 didn't want to watch Alphas because it was too well, again, it's professional. It's totally different tone. Like those, yeah. those are very like Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon-esque shows. I'm, they're not quite as bad as Xena. They're, no, they're, they're, not, they're, they're not bad. They're just, they're, they're, they're a weird sort of like tone, like, yeah. like weird kind of like not, not, it's like some of it's tongue in cheek, but not really. It's more like like a very lighthearted kind of tone, but there is definitely like a, like a kind of awkwardness to it. It's almost like they are nerds. Those TV shows were nerds and nerds like those TV shows because like of what they were. And Elphas was actually a pretty cool nerd and people didn't seem to like it (laughs) because it was just a little bit too tough looking. Like it maybe knows how to throw a football and the nerds were like, I don't want to hang out with this show. Well, I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I, I am going to check out season two, uh, but, you know, season one was the thing which really sort of appealed to me because of, of the, the bear thing. I, I wish it would have gone on further. Like, like you guys were saying, I think if it had room to, to grow, it, it could have gotten better, but, but I did think it was, it was a good show. And, uh, I, I was also kind of just one other thing. I, I, I was kind of struck by the similarities between this and 4,400, um, Superficially, I well, feel like I sort feel of like, like it was like a different execution of the same concept in a way, and uh, I, I thought that that was yeah. kind of cool to see, and and ultimately, even though I think forty four hundred is a better show, I think that if Alphas had the time to uh, grow like forty four hundred did, uh, Alphas could have ended up being the superior show. I think the production value and everything was much better, the performances and all that stuff. So I think I it's it, it. I think the concept behind alphas kind of doesn't. You can't do that kind of that, that thing for that for too long, because essentially it's humans versus mutants and breaking down the mutants, good mutants versus bad mutants. Yeah, and there's only so long you can kind of go with that idea before it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, Which I mean, is what Alphas ran into. It has no termination point built into the concept. Yeah, the problem you can't you can't actually reach a satisfying conclusion because because the, it resolves itself. That, yeah, that would be the end of all of it. And like the the concept doesn't have in its structure a mechanism to do that, except for like maybe mass extinction, hmm. which would be an interesting way to end a series. And I might be into it, but uh, I don't see. That that Anyone would be the end, though. That, you that. couldn't, yeah. You couldn't go beyond that. Yeah, and you also can't really build to one of these days. Everyone's going to die well, eventually. Maybe season seven. Well, n- no matter what option you do, whether you have the humans win, the mutants win, or coexisting, it's not. They're all f- a f- there's a sense of finality to all three. Yeah, but I mean, forty four hundred did actually pull the trigger on the mass extinction. And I think that's actually like a reasonable thing to do with your but show. Forty four hundred is I mean, it's a similar show, but it's not the same. There's, it's no, it's not. But that's the thing. I mean, like they they built into their structure like a finale concept, sure. 
and alphas did not really have that. Like there was no mechanism to actually end that story. It was well, basically just that comes with following the X-Men too closely. Yeah, it's a, it works for an ongoing series. You have to, you have to build into it some sort of some sort of device that makes it clear that it's going in a direction because it really did not seem to know where it was going. Really ever. It kind of never figured out what the show was really about in the big picture. All right. Before we we leave for today, there there are two things that that I I do want to touch on um, that aren't related to Iris Stephen Bear, but are related to Star Trek creators. The first is Marty Hornstein. He is a guy who was a producer slash unit production manager in Star Trek. He he worked on a number of the movies, Star Trek VI, and then First Contact, Insurrection, and Nemesis. And he's the type of guy who, you know, you won't really hear his name or, or, or hear people talk about him, uh, generally speaking, or even, you know, on this show probably. But he was basically the guy who figured out how to get the creator's vision up on the screen. His job was to say, okay, you want to have a thing where like 10 spaceships explode and then like a guy gets sucked out into space and then like you see whatever and his his head blows up and well, this is going to cost $52 million, but right now we've got five bucks. So how about we do it this way? So even though it does seem like sort of a uh, an, almost like an office job, like a, like a money guy, he was a very creative uh, component to the team. And uh, from all accounts, he was very good at his job. He worked as a production manager or a producer or both on, you know, dozens of movies, you know, ver- various movies and TV shows throughout the years. And he passed away a couple weeks ago. And I just thought that it should be noted because he was an, an integral part of the team for some of, uh, at least, my favorite Star Trek stuff. I mean, Star Trek VI and First Contact were both excellent movies. And everyone seemed to love him, and uh, he will be missed. Also, Ron Moore recently went on to Twitter and answered some fans' questions about uh, various shows that he worked on, and some of them were really interesting answers. Uh, for example, when when asked about uh, DS9, you know, someone asked him, where is DS9 20 years on? Is Quark still tending bar? And he answered, actually talking about that with Ira, stay tuned. You know, that, that to me, I, I found to be really interesting. Like, what does that mean? You know, talking in, in what capacity? Are they going to release, like, a comic book? or They're writing fan fiction for I mean, that could, that could be, you know, it could be that they're that they're going to awesome. do like a, a thing on the DVD or something like that, the Blu-ray. One one other thing that, that someone asked him, which is kind of relevant to uh, today's discussion, uh, someone said, how was Ira as a showrunner? And he said, the best I ever knew, I still learn from him every day. So there you go. Even Ron Moore loves Ira Stephen Bear, which I guess he kind of had to figure, especially since he got him to run his new show, but... But that's that. It's still crazy. I can't. I can't figure out if the re- if the new relationship makes sense. Yeah. I don't know if they're doing it exactly right or they're doing it completely backwards. Well, it's been fun talking about Iris Stephen Bear and Alphas today. But that's not the only thing we're talking about on Trek FM. 
here's a, a taste of what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Janice Rand. And Rand braces for impact against Kirk. If I were on that bridge and I needed to brace for impact, I would totally grab Kirk. I'd grab Rand. You'd grab Rand? All right. Yeah. Well, different strokes <laughs> for different folks, I guess. Earl Grey. Missing 24th century technology. How about, like, a gun that shoots hyposprays? No, I assume you mean it shoots out of the... <laughs> the, 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 the chemical. Oh, <laughs> There's like a little mechanical thumb that dispenses it. The ready room. Affliction and divergence. Yeah, the other interesting thing about that, though, is to compare the Klingon ethics with the Section 31 ethics, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, there are some groups within the Klingons who maybe don't feel exactly the same way. But then yeah. there's this group within the humans who feels completely different. And you kind of wonder what the Klingons think maybe about someone who wouldn't do this. The orb. Implications of genetic enhancement. And our scientific advancement is is picking up pace all the time, our technological advancement. I think the urge for us to artificially enhance ourselves is going to be too great for us to ignore. To the journey! Resolutions rewrite. Overall, this is a great story. It's about like love and loss and, and about moving on and not being able to move on and has some baddies at the end, you know, and it's just, it's, yeah. uh, it's good. Come on, this is why Harlequin paperbacks get sold. Commentary, Trek stars. Iris Stephen Bear, Crash. I, I love Iris Stephen Bear. As, as much as, as uh, anyone can love a television showrunner who they've never met. Oh, okay. <laughs> Alright, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I'm glad to put that on the other. Warp 5. Xenophobia and the Coalition of Planets. Justification in his mind is that the Vulcans were observing us. Mm. They knew the war was happening. Mm. They didn't do anything to stop it. But, you know, it really wasn't the place of the Vulcans to step in and stop World mm. War Three. Literary Treks. James Swallow, The Poison Chalice. Everybody in this story is dragged into a situation they don't want, want to be in. And that's kind of where the, the title, The Poison Chalice, originally came from, is the idea that, you know, Riker is given this promotion, which uh, on paper sounds like a really great idea, but it's a poison chalice. You know, it, it turns out that it's not what he thought it was. And in fact, you know, he's being dragged into something that he doesn't want to be involved in. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. We have new shows for you every day, and you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can stream and download files from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. Brandon, are you on Audible? I've used it before. Well, well, you can you can sign up. You can you can have get like an Audible subscription, you know, and if you sign up uh, using the the offer code TrekFM, you can get a, a book for free. I did not know this before, but now that I have this information, I will get on Audible dot com. Yeah, you should. Well, you know, if if you go to Audible and and, and you use the code, you can get a book for free, and uh, you could get. Star Trek Deep Space Nine Millennium Number 1 for free. It was written by Judith and Garfield Reeves-Stevens, who have written a ton of you know Star Trek books and have also written for Enterprise and, and stuff. It's narrated by Joe Morton. Everyone loves Joe Morton, right? right 
So, so with this book, Millennium, it sounds pretty interesting. Here, here's the, the summary. Bajor is in flames. The corridors of Terak-Nor echo with the sounds of battle. It is the end of the Cardassian occupation and the beginning of the greatest epic adventure in the saga of Deep Space Nine. Six years later, with the Federation losing ground in its war against the Dominion, the galaxy's greatest smugglers, including the beautiful and enigmatic Vash, rendezvous on Deep Space Nine. Their objective... A fabled lost orb of the prophets unlike any other, rumored to be the key to unlocking a second wormhole in Bajoran space, a second celestial temple. Pretty cool, huh? Vash Returns. Vash Returns, an Iris Stephen Bear creation. So there you go. You can get that on Audible. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek.fm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read or that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank you and Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and Trek.fm. All right. Well, Brandon, anywhere people can find you on the internet? On the yes. internet. But don't do not do that. <laughs> well, well, you could, they, people could find you at commentarytrackstars.com. Uh, where yes, yes, you could <laughs> totally find me there. Where we do, do that. Where we if do you want to find me, comment, do that. We do commentary track stars off topic every week with you. Yes. We can e- email... You can email Mike. All and of us. He'll forward all of us at, at comtrackstars at gmail.com. Yes. You can read or his blog at brandon.com. Yes. <laughs> or you can find us on Twitter at comtrackstars. Uh, yes. You can. Yes. All those things are true. Yes, they are. So uh, that's it for Alphas. And we will be back next week to recap Iris Stephen Bear's career as a showrunner.